Welcome to Sides Podcast. I'm Paul Carney, and this is officially the first episode of Sides Podcast. So I thought I'd start off really quickly with a description of what the podcast is about, what I hope it's about, or what I hope it will be about um, in the long run. So Sides, when I was first thinking about this podcast, that name jumped into my head almost immediately. Uh, Two sides to every coin, both sides of a conversation, a and B sides of old albums, um, whatever. There are always more sides than one. Um, this is a podcast about communication. This is a podcast about conversation. When I was brainstorming ideas about the podcast originally, told somebody about it, and they said, yeah, but y- you have to have it be about something. And I said, well, how about about conversation? About people. So what I'm hoping to do with this podcast is bring in people, to start that I know, uh, eventually people I don't know, uh, but in both cases to get to know them better and to see what's on their minds. I'm coming at this from having been a long time away from anything that required me to interview or have these kinds of conversations with people. Uh, I did radio a million years ago uh, in college and uh, professionally for a little tiny while. Um, so. Early on, I'm going to apologize for a few things. My questioning is going to be a little rusty. Um, Also, I'm trying to get used to talking on a microphone again, so sometimes I'm a little mumbly. Sorry for that. Um, Also, the audio quality. These first few episodes, I'm still working out how to do this. Um, Just trying trying to get a good sound here in my office. But hopefully you'll bear with me. I think some of these early conversations are are good. I've got interesting people, and uh, again, mostly I hope this is a celebration of uh, people's lives, people's stories, uh, conversation. So, this is our first episode. My first guest, my first conversation is with Bridget Kalin. Um, I've known Bridget almost as long as I've been in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, which is about 2001, so sometime in those first couple of years I met her. When I first met her, she was back to Louisville from having been away in New York for a while for college and then professionally for a bit. And she was just getting into uh, singer-songwriter stuff locally, kind of putting herself out there as a musician. So that's how I first knew her. So I got to ask her questions about that time that I wouldn't have asked back then or that I didn't ask back then, finding out more about uh, how she grew up, how she went away, how she came back. I think it's an interesting conversation. Touch on a lot of topics. Um, and that's another thing I hope for Sides Podcast is that, you know, no tangent will go unfollowed. If something comes up, we just kind of go with it. I could go on and on, but most importantly right now, I want you to listen to this conversation with Bridget Kalin. All right, we're going to officially get started with this. Um... So I realized the other day, actually I was talking to Paul Moffin about this, trying to remember, we were both trying to remember when we first met you, because there's a little mystery to that sort of period. Mm-hmm. There are mysteries to all periods. Yeah, pre-Facebook. Pre-Facebook. Yeah. So, but you came back to Louisville again. 2002 Okay. I, okay. I moved out of New York 2001, but I had a place in Chicago. Hmm. I was back and forth a lot, so it's possible we met in fall of 2001. I didn't start playing music out until, I, my first gig was November 2001, but it was a very last minute, I dare you to sing in your doubles kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really start actually playing music till probably summer of 02. Mm-hmm. So. Grew up, born and raised in Louisville. Yep. Family from Louisville, All long time? Louisville, yeah, several generations back. Yeah. Both and sides. Both sides, yeah, they came in the 1960s, 50s, 60s. Oh, so. way back. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. Well, you're, you're a first-generation Louisville, so... Yeah, I'm barely. <laughs> yeah, barely. I don't count yet. Yeah. Um, all right, so the very Louisville questions. What neighborhoods did they grow up in? My dad grew up in Germantown, and I went to St. X, and my mom grew up in the Highlands, and went to Atherton. Thanks for adding yeah. school to me. You got to. Yeah, you yeah. said very Louisville. I thought that's where you were going I started realizing <laughs> as I was, I was getting ready for this, like the questions I was going to ask. I was going to ask the school, school thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started realizing it made sense if I thought about Louisville as the city of neighborhoods mm-hmm. that it is. Like the whole, you know, because you come into that and you think, oh, it's about well, which school did you go to? It's not, right. no, it's not really that at all. Yeah, it's just where did you grow up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So which school did you go to? I went to Atherton. 
I actually grew up in the same house my mom did. She bought her parents' house when she died. So, yeah, so my okay. dad still live there, and I'll probably live there at some point because I'm an only child. So look at that. I'm greedily planning my renovations. <laughs> Keep a list. Yeah, if my mom's listening, she's not laughing right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so growing up, I mean, I know you were always a music kid-ish. Like you took piano yeah, and no. all the classic things, took obviously accordion at some point. <laughs> yeah. But when did that, when did it click for you as something that you really liked? I don't remember not liking music, but I also knew that it wasn't a career, or I think I thought it sort of been hammered into me. I'm mm -hmm. not sure by whom, because my grandfather, my mom's dad, was a professional musician. Oh, right. And he played trumpet in the big bands all before World War II, and then he was in the army band in World War II, so he traveled the world playing trumpet. And uh, they actually used to call him Boogie 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 Point because he played it all over, all over the world. But it was also sort of a thing that he was supposed to have done, you know, before he got married and had kids. After he got married, he stopped until all his friends got bored. They got back together to play music, and then they started gigging again. So I knew him as a musician, but that was a different style. Like he played in these big bands, and that was totally different than folk singer or country musician. Right. So that was that's much more of a organized, or so it seemed to me. We have a group, we do this, we play these parties, they start at seven, they end at 10, everybody shows up every week, we play weddings, different kind of things. So I went to school and I, I was good at school. So I was also sort of drilled into me that musicians were people who were not good at school. Not because they were stupid, <laughs> but because they just had other minds. And yeah, they, yeah. And they were special. Right, and they knew that that's what the only thing they could do. But I was good at school, and I liked I like results, so I got good results in school. So sort of assumed that that's not musician was not my career path. I was pre-law, in fact. So I love the fact, by the way, that you said that I was good at school, as opposed to saying, you know, I was smart. No, I was good at school. <laughs> well, there is a difference too. So it's, I, I, I was, no, I know. I know. Yeah. A lot of people pass for smart because they were good in school. Yeah, and good test takers. It's a different thing. I was sort of in the middle, but I was very good. And you know, maybe this is why I connect with audiences so much, but I was very good at figuring out what the teacher wanted. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. changed every year. But as soon as I figured that out, I gave that to the teacher. And I never quite understood why my friends didn't. I was like, I mean, obviously, this teacher wants you to really spell everything right. So it doesn't, care, it doesn't matter what you write, just spell it right. And the next year, it was the opposite. They want you to have a, you know, a thesis statement. So, yeah. so just do a thesis statement. It's not that hard, people. <laughs> David, my husband's the same way, and it's funny raising our kids. We're kind of like, I, Graham, the five-year-old is. Um, he's very much like that, but he's only had one teacher. So, <laughs> I'm hoping he realizes that each year it changes. And but he already is locked in to the yeah, teacher. Yeah, he likes the school. He likes rules. He he likes to. He likes a result. Yeah. Speaking of the rules thing. You said something about uh, your grandfather's musical environment, you know, where you come, the show's at this time, you do the show. <laughs> you know what I'm going on. I do. <laughs> um, do you think that's where the punctuality thing came from, or is that a family thing? Right, so I have two theories on that. Okay. One is that, one of the more recent theory, that my dad's family is all Swiss. So, <laughs> you're laughing, but, you know, the trains no, are on no. time. They're, they're, I mean, there's a difference. And they run between, really well. Right? Yeah. So uh, perhaps there's like a DNA thing, I'm half Swiss. So the other part is that my mom's whole family has always been self-employed. And the part mm -hmm. of they're Jewish, and so a lot of people wouldn't hire them. They had to be self-employed. Mm -hmm. But when you run your own business, you can't mess around with that, as mm -hmm. you know. Like, you can't show up I'm half not, an hour. I'm not a great example. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are. But, you know, I mean, it's it's a transaction. And I, I like to think about music. My shows start on time because you came in and you paid your entry fee and you're coming in for this entertainment. If you go to the theater, it doesn't start an hour late. So mm -hmm. why should my music show? Mm -hmm. I do get a little uptight about it though. I was just in Chicago a couple weeks ago. The show was sold out. It was me and- Congratulations. Thank you, right? So I wasn't headlining, but the headliner kind of came up to me and he goes, right about 7.45. He's like, okay, so we'll hold the curtain maybe like 15 minutes. And I just looked at him like, what are you waiting for? The, you know, doors were 7.30. The place is packed. Why are we waiting? Mm -hmm. And he goes, are you joking? It's like, no, I'm starting at 8. <laughs> so he was confused. And I said, I'm sorry, you've been gone too long. I start on time. Right, right. <laughs> what, and it's funny, we play around with this with the Flamenco group. In most places, they're never ready to go, you know, when it's time. Um, although we're rarely ready to go either because there are a lot of costumes, you know. Right. But Diana and I always joke about the old Broadway time thing. 
Mm -hmm. You know, is that tradition of I think holding for seven. Yep. Um, it's nice to see. It's nice to see somebody kind of going against that. It's only because the audiences get sloppy too. Yes. People are rolling in 15, 20 minutes after things have started, which is fine if it's like a club environment or something. But if yep. it's a seated thing. Yeah, and even in a club environment, people can get irritated if. I decided just to go ahead and start on time, and it did take me a few years with my crowd for them to believe me, and it took them missing the song they wanted to hear. Right. And I said, I'm sorry, I played it at, you know, 8.15, and it's almost 9, and... You start, like, opening with everybody's favorite song, <laughs> just to... Right, I should have done sorry. that. Sorry. I'm not mean about it, but it, it was a matter of me traveling and seeing how other cities did it, mm -hmm. and surely there are other cities who are, especially with the original music scene, flew mm -hmm. it, shall we say, mm -hmm. but... I spent a lot of time doing session work in Nashville, and when I would go out at night, you know, things would be listed by the hour. This show is at the Bluebird at 6 o'clock. This show is at Station Inn at 7.30. And it was very convenient because you could plan your evening, and you would not miss the bands you wanted to see because you knew when they would be playing. Hmm. And, you know, this was pre-iPhone. It was, you know, you had to look in the paper, so they had to be committed. <laughs> it was like they couldn't change it at the last minute. But it made for a great evening, and this was even before I had kids. Now that I have kids, like, paying a babysitter mm -hmm. and from a business perspective the people who want to spend money have jobs and they don't want to get up really early having gone to bed at 3 a.m. because right, right. you were late playing your show so I, I don't know, I've definitely gone out paid a babysitter for an extra hour just because the band didn't start on time and it's infuriating <laughs> I definitely take it a little more personally than most I think but but come on the sign said 9 it's 10 right. 30 I mean, were you trying to please just play play your songs? Come on! It tells me you're not serious about your your music or your business. So if you're gonna put on a show, start on time, people. Come on! And it's that, that whole it's not about you thing. That's an interesting position for performing artists mm -hmm. because it, I don't think it is. Like we we assume it is because well, I'm the person up on stage. You, I'm the one you came to watch, right? Right. Or listen to whatever. But it's like only kind of. You know, the people are there for the whole experience of being there. Yeah. Um, years ago, back when we were doing Player Spot, um, when Paul was interviewing Johnny Barry, and I wish I could remember the exact line, but Johnny had this great thing about people came for here for a party, and I'm in charge of the party. I'm in charge of them having a good time. Yeah. It's on me. Yep. So it's like, it's not, it's not yeah. about me. I'm just the, the sort of accountable it's figure. True. And maybe that's when you're, as an artist, if you're thinking of yourself as an artist versus entertainer, mm. but there's got to be some place in between. Like you make your art, but then you have to realize that depending on the, the place you're playing, maybe they don't want to hear dirges all night. So, you know, <laughs> if you're in charge of the party, maybe don't play track seven from your right. Um So your grandfather and music theater is always part of your life, but neither one of your parents do music, yeah? No, my mom, she's probably listening, she, but she will admit she can't even clap along to a song. And Although I've heard her sing like ABCs to the little baby, and she's, she's not okay. as bad as she let on, yeah. but she's not a singer. Um, my dad, I'm starting to think maybe missed his calling, though, because I caught him the other day just by ear on a little toy keyboard picking out a variety of songs. And I've taught music long enough to know that that's something that you, most people cannot do. Yeah. So I've kind of said you can do that. Like he was playing from my old Kentucky home to somewhere over the rainbow songs that have a lot of notes and aren't just do Raimi. And, um, he looked at me like, yeah, of course I can. Mm -hmm. I was like, hmm, maybe nobody told you that this is a skill. So I'm starting to think maybe I, I did inherit it from both sides, not just my grandfather. But, uh, yeah, the, there, I mean, there was a piano in my house growing mm -hmm. up and my dad taught me Tennessee waltz when I was two or three, mm -hmm. which now that I have kids, I'm like, Oh, I guess that was young for that. But it just sort of made sense to me. Yeah always made sense and the ear and how it all comes together just um, I wish that actually somebody had told me sooner that it was not yeah that it was a gift and not just like oh you're good at piano because you practice but that mm -hmm. I had um and I mean maybe this is because I'm a woman but I'm told not to like celebrate my, you know it turns out I'm very good yeah. at this and I yeah. wish that someone had let me know that this was something I could have made money at at a younger age like Right, this, I mean, this is a possibility. Yeah, that this is, this. yeah, and above average good. And I'm not even talking about the, in fact, I'm not at all talking about the songwriting and singing things, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. the, the understanding of chords and being able to, if I hear a, chord, a song once, I can tell you the chord progression without thinking. Um, I wish I could do that. It's, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> again, it's not, I can't even, I'm sure other people, you have, you have tons of gifts, but 
um, this is my particular one. And it's been why I make a living playing music because I can do my own little original songwriter stuff, but I've got this like background and theory and this ear that allows me to sit in in any band mm-hmm. without rehearsing. And mm-hmm. that's the that's the part where I get the calls for yeah. the, the jobs that pay is yeah. because I don't have to go to some rehearsals. I can just play the song. But I didn't realize that till I was almost 30 that that was not... Mm-hmm. And I had already put out an album and played in other bands. And That's always been one of those things, though, that I, I in my mind, when I think of... And, I, and I'm, these words are in quotes. Real musicians. Yeah. Like there's just that, there's that distinction. And when I say real musicians, it has nothing to do with your, your success, your ability at what you're doing you know, in general or whatever. I think there are, like people always say, you know, oh, the jazz guys, the classical guys, mm-hmm. those are the real musicians. <laughs> Some of them aren't. No, absolutely. Some um, of them aren't. But yeah. people who can step in in those kind of situations and just be like, all right, got it, let's go. Yeah, got it, let's go. Yeah. And, and it makes for really fun times too yeah. because, I mean, the sessions are... You can just jump in and have a good time. Sometimes you go to a party and they expect you to kind of start the party, but, but that's okay. Bridget's here. Yeah. Here's your guitar. Yeah. What? I just got here. But yeah, it's uh, it's funny you said real musicians too because that's in something. Quotes. Yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah. Nobody yeah. out there saw the quotes. I saw them. I heard the quotes um, because I've definitely encountered that, and often from a different way. And I, I brought up the you know because I'm a woman thing earlier, but it's something mm-hmm. I didn't quite realize that. People are surprised when I can do it, and I think they're often surprised because I'm a girl. <laughs> it's like, and I, I've even had good friends who I play with go, "Oh, you're the real deal," and like mm-hmm. as if you know I had to I had to just kind of prove it a little bit more. Right, but, right. But I didn't quite realize I was doing that at the time. Just but suddenly I got their approval. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Do you know Blossom Deary? Do you no. know that name? No. Jazz pianist singer. Um, Mostly 50s and 60s, like that was sort of. Uh-huh. She was of that era of jazz, okay. and that's sort of when she was big. She's really interesting because you said that about you know women as musicians. Apparently, she was one of Miles Davis's favorite pianists. Just wow. like he really enjoyed her stuff, enjoyed her singing, and it's somebody with the name Blossom Deary. You can imagine if she has a voice to match that. It was you know very high, very right. almost sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, she could kick it. But again, who didn't get the props? You know that she right. should have. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, the bass player Carol. Um, oh yeah, who did everything? Crew. I can oh, picture yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, she did all. She's the bass line for everything. Everything, yeah. If it was a great bass line of that yeah. era, I mean. Didn't they say um, she even did some Beatles stuff here? I feel like there I've heard that. Rumors. I've <laughs> yeah. heard that. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, there were just days when Paul didn't feel like it. Right. I think Paul's got some chops too. But... Again, that difference between yeah. you know chops and just being able to go, okay. Not, yeah. yeah, not, and yeah. it's, yeah, and maybe that's it, like, nobody told them that it was rare, or right. it's just sort of what, what you do. I've been on fire lately, as I have all the women I know, so I'm not trying to genderize everything no, or no, no. say it's all about that, but mm-hmm. it's, I mean, showbiz is insanely sexist, right. as is the world, right. but I, I, and I've had to approach it often in ways that I'm not proud of in retrospect. Like, and I don't think that, I think now, like, when I first started, somebody told me that I couldn't do country because somebody in this town was already, there was already a girl country singer. And um, I just sort of was like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Which was, I mean, I was 25, so, and this was the early 2000s, and not really excusable, but I wish that I, I thought that I questioned things. I wish I questioned that. It just made it seem like we were all competing with each other for one spot rather than all working yeah. together. And if you were the girl in the band, that was good because it meant mm-hmm. that there weren't other girls in the band. Right. And that's just so stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weird too because I think, you know, from over the years talking to different different musicians in town, this just happened recently. Um, another vocalist I was talking to, she was complaining about another vocalist in town, and I didn't want to disavow her her opinion, but I realized it was she's kind of internalized that whole thing. Yeah. Like if this other person's getting all the jobs because she's a woman, then that's it. Right. And it's partially all too often the way it works out there because people are proposing that. And then also other people are saying, oh, it must be the way it is. Yes. And I hate to see that when it, when you know, when people start getting into that self-limiting thing. Yeah. Um, you know. It makes you change what you're doing yep. because you have to find the open market there. Yeah. Uh, which I guess sometimes can lead to creative art, but most of the time it just leads to not collaborating with people you should be collaborating with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears> we did... Um, one of the groups I was on, I'm in the Birdies, it's like a vintage mm-hmm. vocal trio. We were on a Duke's show the other day on WFPK, and he said that from his commercial days all through, I mean, he only switched to FPK in the early 2000s, I mm-hmm. think, that it was the rule you could only play one female artist per hour. Mm-hmm. And nobody questioned it. It was just like, that's the rule. Mm-hmm. And I, 
were clearly still overcoming that. Like when, oh, yeah. when there was one day when the radio played all women, like that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there have been many days they played all men. Just nobody noticed because it's the norm. Yeah. So it and so we have a long way to go in that. But it definitely involves not having token spots. Yeah, <laughs> just this morning um, I was listening to uh, a podcast, of course, um, but they were talking about the limitations of identity politics. Mm. And I got what they were saying. Of course, it was two guys saying, two white guys saying this. I got what they were saying in terms of the end game can't be that, right. you know, because it just you know that yeah. would just be everybody staying in separate camps. But they were missing on the point that until you get to a better situation, that's what the reality is. That's where the leverage is. Right. Like right now, it is true. You know, for you as yeah. a woman, that's just what it is. It is, and it's. It's why I've been talking about it more and more too, because I feel like that's the only way people will realize that that's what's going on, mm-hmm. and and also trying to make sure you know this group, the Birdies, like I'm in it with Laura Ellis, mm-hmm. so Laura's amazing. She's one of my very best friends, and many people assume that we're enemies because we both play the accordion, <laughs> we both sing, and we both have red hair. Like that's one it. of us has to have the market. Throw down. It's like Islander, <clears throat> you know, that can be only ones, but that's so dumb. It's just so yeah. dumb. Is the norm? People sort of assume, oh, well, we've already got Laura on the show. We can't have Bridget, or vice versa. <laughs> and I've heard, I've had people go, I almost called Laura, or I'm calling you because Laura can't do it. And, and it's not. Sometimes that's fine, but sometimes what they mean is they need this particular woman's spot, spot filled, and it's either one or the other. Right. Couldn't dream of having my no. band and her band on the same bill. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Absurd. So, but what's good about all this conversation lately is that it's made the women musicians talk to each other about it. And I've, I've had all kinds of just... That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, just kind of yeah. people I don't really know well because, I mean, quite honestly, if they're not on the bill, I don't meet them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you meet the people that you are in the same place with. And so, therefore, if only one of us is on the bill, it's, it's a very good job of keeping us separate. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing about social media is suddenly, you know, we follow each other, we talk, and it's kind of like, oh, this person and I have a lot of common. Mm-hmm. There'll be a couple different Facebook threads with women in this town who have encountered things like this. Oh, they asked me, but they said that they couldn't ask you because blah, blah, blah. And it's, so stuff's coming out, you know? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're talking to each other now. Be, be afraid, promoters. We know your game. But you're total, total tangent. Like, what's your, I know you're a reader, mm-hmm. but if somebody said, I, if you could only have like one hobby, Music doesn't count. That's your profession. Uh, what's your What's your thing that's not anything else? I mean, reading, I guess. Yeah, yeah I read yeah. all the time. Um, I'm I'm obsessive about trivia and history, mm-hmm. and I tend to read fiction about history mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. non. Does that make sense? Like, I guess historical fiction is the thing, but but um, mostly because I get really involved in the stories in the past, and maybe travel is what I should have said. But I like to travel to historical sites. Mm-hmm. That's sort of my which is been convenient for my job, or yeah. maybe my job has been convenient for my hobby, <clears throat> in that I book myself in places that have really cool castles, and then I obsess over things like Mary Queen of Scots for a few years. I've noticed you have a castle fixation. Yeah. It's, it's all about the stories, though, and which kind of ties into the, the music and storytelling in general, mm-hmm. but I love being in a place where things happen, mm-hmm. and I get kind of the heebie-jeebies in a good way, and I love little tidbits and knowing that like this is where the Magna Carta was signed or mm-hmm. like this is where King James VI was born and oh my gosh and yeah. so that's yeah historical facts and figures can almost become sort of cartoonish with time like they don't you just can't imagine these were real people yeah they were wearing clothes that day exactly. somebody farted yes. right as they were signing you know whatever yeah yeah that's the kind of stuff that just sends me off I love it we were um, at uh, Biltmore in North Carolina oh cool I'd never been and one of the neat things about it, like it reminds me of all the you know, grand houses of Europe that we've yeah. seen, you know, go on tours. But realizing that it's so young, right? Realizing that it was a family mostly in there, mm-hmm. you know, compressed that sense of time. They weren't these you know, quite so cartoonish. They were real people. I love America, and I love. I mean, well, <laughs> I'm going to pull like just America. that out. Right. <laughs> it's a start right yeah, I, I guess that was more of my like. <laughs> um, Qualifying what I'm about to say. <laughs> You're lacking so much. Yeah. Why do you keep leaving? Exactly. Yeah. I do, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's why I don't. But I have reasons for not really touring America. They mostly involve too much time on the interstate and just not having time to see mm-hmm. what I'm actually mm-hmm. passing through. Yeah. It just feels like time wasted in the car. 
where when I'm traveling and touring in Europe, makes sense. when I'm touring in Europe, I have time to travel also, mm. if that makes sense. Sure, sure. So if I, as long as I plan well. And even if I haven't, so if you have one day where it's a four-hour drive, that's a crazy long drive in the UK. Mm-hmm. And you stop off for lunch at the castle where they film Harry Potter, and then mm-hmm. you move on and you're at your destination. And along the way, you pass these, you know, Hadrian's Wall and these four other battle sites. So you have time to actually see things and learn things. And it's, it's fun. I just got back from a tour, and bless him, Steve Cooley came along and just stopped at every little castle and historical marker I said. <laughs> it was great. That's something I don't think people take into account often enough, though, is like the, the density there it just makes all the difference. All the difference. Plenty of history here, but you have to, you know, yeah. put in a day's drive between historical markers sometimes. Exactly. Which is wonderful in a different way. But yeah, if that's your goal, but if it's a work trip, there's just no time. Like if you have to, if you're leaving Atlanta at 7 a.m. and you have to be on, you know, radio in Louisville mm-hmm. at whatever time, there's no time to stop off anywhere in Tennessee to see the Jack Daniels distillery or something. You just don't have time for that stuff. Yeah. And I, I really. I'm not a musician who can just get in the car and play and get in the car and play and get in the car and play. Especially at this point in my career, I need a little bit more than that. I need to make it more, I guess I need to incorporate that hobby that I've just discovered as another thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the travel and the adventure is part of it. And I don't enjoy touring in America because I don't have time for that part. Well, also, like, you know run into that classic thing of all the 70s rock bands that because of that all they started writing was you know, yeah, songs about the road. Yeah, yeah. driving on, yeah, exactly. I'm going to write right. songs about castles. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great, like a it's list of song. <laughs> yeah. So other than being an a unrecognized prodigy. Oh, so sweet. Um, normal childhood, nothing weird. Yeah, I, uh, I'm an only child, so that's... I guess weird, apparently. Is it? So, right, you are too. So no, I, no, well, sort of. <clears throat> not yet. That's another podcast. It's complicated. <laughs> um, digging holes here. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm learning now that only childhood must have been very difficult. I, I'm introverted, so I kind of loved it, to be honest. <laughs> and um, we didn't, in retrospect, my we didn't have much money, but my parents were very good about never talking about that. Mm-hmm. So I remember going to friends' houses and being like, whoa. This is a nice house, and it, you know, was just an average house. Right, right. But um, I was very fortunate to grow up in, you know, I grew up by Lakeside, so mm-hmm. I never went to summer camp or anything. But I went to Lakeside every day, yeah. so like, no, I was, I was in my own little world. I read a lot and yeah. went swimming, so, and I did. I had, a, I had a good childhood. So I guess from there, all right. So yeah. you decided to go off to college. I went to college. Okay, got to, that check. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and you went to. I went to NYU. And you studied. Politics and look at that. I have a degree in politics. Well, I knew that. <laughs> I didn't know that you would have. Huh. Um, I have a minor in jazz piano, so there's that. But that was kind of accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in CBS mm-hmm. for CBS News afterwards. That's something people tend to not know about me. I worked in the green room at CBS this morning. Mm-hmm. I have a whole notebook somewhere that I've been looking for about my my stories from there because I met <laughs> everyone. Right. I met everyone. Like, I even met Donald Trump, and I can't remember what happened, which makes me wonder what did happen. Most of them, I have a very clear memory <laughs> of what happened. And, yeah. And uh, Bill Cosby grabbed my ass once, so there's that. There you go. So, I, yeah, I believe her. I was just getting a coffee, and he reached over and honked. And uh, That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have all kinds of fun stories. But, uh, yeah, I did documentaries. That's how we kind of met. I, mm-hmm. I was doing video documentaries. I quit the job in New York and come back here because my mom was sick. Oh, right. She's, well, she's not fine now. She got better. Now she's sick again. But uh, the cancer kind of sick. But she wasn't, she had stage three breast cancer back then. So I moved back to, you know, be with her. And then she was awesome. Yay for science. Yay for her resilience. She yeah. just has always struck me as one of those quietly kick-ass strong people. She's stubborn, as am I. We get in arguments about ridiculous things. Usually because one of us needed to be the one to think of it first. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, she is. She's very resilient, but uh, yeah, she's Can't great. Love her. Love you, Mom. Yeah. Is that true? I came back to be with her, and then I started yeah. playing music, because she was here, and yeah. that was therapy. Now, you had, I didn't know, I think I, I think I knew the politics thing, I forgot, did not know about the jazz writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that kills one of my questions, which is, uh, were you making music during college, apparently? You had to for a grade. I did. Um, did you get to play outside of class much? Were you doing anything? You know, I played a lot, but usually for the vocalist and musical theater majors, mm-hmm. I was 
the go-to um, accompanist because mm -hmm. I could sight read really well, which mm -hmm. again I didn't know that other people couldn't. So she's like, "Yeah, I can play this." So it's a skill. In so head. yeah, it was. Um, I'm a little weak on it now, having not tried it in a while. But um, yeah, in college, that that was sort of my my job was playing piano for auditions mm -hmm. and such. So so Bridget Caitlin coming back to Louisville and becoming a musician is not as big a surprise as it seemed to some people. Because I know, know some people when you started kind of gigging out and stuff, people were like, what? Yeah. She does what? Yeah, at school, if you had talked to my, like I was in chamber singers at Atherton, but, and I played the piano for the school musical and stuff, but mm -hmm. I was definitely like the nerd who was upset if she got an A minus, which I didn't get. <laughs> Just to set the record straight. I mean, if I'm going to be honest, that I'm sure it was my legacy of like know-it-all and, what and you, obsessive. What's your GPA? Oh, four. <laughs> person ever called to ask me what my GPA was, <laughs> which is yes. why I was so like, let me tell you, <laughs> because it doesn't matter, it turns out, it doesn't matter. Um, I don't even think, I mean, I got this job at CBS, they didn't even ask for a transcript. I was sort of one good, look, look at that. I was like, so no, I, I think you're right that that was definitely not what they expected me to do. I'm sure they expected me to come back with some obnoxious degree and I don't know, maybe I'm still a know-it-all, but um, in a different field. <laughs> Yeah. You know what you know. <laughs> exactly. I definitely have loosened up a bit since high school, <laughs> to say the least. So when you did come back and you first started, what attracted you to doing this sort of this sort of singer-songwriter thing? Especially, and I'm curious about this because I didn't I didn't realize I was an introvert until I was in my 40s, mm -hmm. which is kind of ridiculous. And so you were saying that you're one. Yeah. I've always been fascinated with how many people I know who are introverts who are attracted to performing. Right. Who are, especially who are attracted to like the front and center thing. Yeah. Because to the outside world, it seems like such a disconnect. Um, there's some sort of framing that comes along with being on stage. Mm -hmm. And the framing is safe mm -hmm. and is almost, you know, like being in a zoo or an art museum. You're on display, but you're safe. Mm -hmm. And the microphone is very safe. So even at my wedding, I was so exhausted from talking to people I loved. You know, yeah. But there yeah. were a hundred of them. Mm -hmm. And... I needed a break. I swore that I would never play my own wedding, and I ended up on stage with the band for like half an hour because I needed to. I needed a break. Right. You couldn't just leave. I couldn't just leave. That's weird, but it's weird for yeah. the bride to leave. So I, nervous Melvin played, and I just jumped up there and played with them for half an hour because I needed a break, mm -hmm. um, so I could still kind of talk to people and be social, mm -hmm. but not be uh, not exhaust myself. And that's such a great twist to, to most people's perceptions because they see somebody do that and they're like, oh God, she just can't stay out of the spotlight. Right. It's all about her. And truth, it's kind of the opposite. It is. I need yeah. a break. Yeah, walking down the aisle and that, that sort of spotlight, I can't. That's awful. Like, yeah. And I think that that's maybe what most people who don't like the stage must have that feeling all the time. Mm -hmm. To me, it's it's a safety net. And I think maybe it's confidence in knowing that this is what I'm good at. I'm, right. I'm okay at this. this right. What I'm not good at is small talk. Um, I can walk on a stage and sing Son of Preacher Man, or whatever song I wrote, and no problem. And I know everyone's going to be happy, and mm -hmm. I have, you know, they're, I have satisfied their need for smiling. And uh, so, I, and honestly, I, what attracted me to, to that is, is just that I, I like to make, I'm a people pleaser. I like to make people happy, mm -hmm. and this was a way I can make lots of people happy at mm -hmm. once. Is I'm not. That sounds so. No, no. I don't mean it in self-centered. I just mean like I can to entertain someone to make them forget whatever nonsense is going on that right. brought them out to the bar that night is why I like to do this. It's why I don't just make records and put them out. I I play live. My live shows are way better than my records. I should just do a live record, I guess. But I I have trouble transferring it to to the recording process. But I I like to make people smile, and so that's where that came from. Mm -hmm. Sitting in the corner playing. Piano is very satisfying for me on some level because it's practice and I like that, but I prefer to have a one-on-one -on -one or one-on-a-thousand connection. <laughs> it feels one-on-one -on -one somehow when I'm up on the stage with the microphone. I, yeah, yeah. You're right, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but I feel like I can connect easier that way. Mm -hmm. I've always hated public speaking. In general, I still kind of do, but mm -hmm. the last couple of years when we do educational programs, you know, we're up at some college, like we were just at the Rio recently. And mm -hmm you know, a hundred kids yeah. in the audience and we do a little Q&A &Q at the end. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> but there's something recently that's, that's flipped and I think for me it's that. It's like I see them, I see that audience as a, as a person. Right. And now Diana has to be like, okay, it's not, 
much. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so the songwriting coming up. Did you write any stuff much before you just jumped in? Yes, but I didn't know why I was writing. I have huh. at this point, I have I don't know, 500 notebooks that huh. I've filled up since I was 12. Mm -hmm. So, and when I don't write, I'm a crazy person to be around. So it turns out that I have to write, mm -hmm. or I'm like therapy doesn't cut it. Nothing mm -hmm. exercise doesn't cut it. I have to write away the crazy thoughts that. And in this, you know, I probably should be more medicated. <laughs> but um, I, I just, I'm a writer, and right. I've, I've only recently, like in the last few years, come to realize that that is actually part of this. And so I was digging through past notebooks, really honestly deciding what to do with them, because, like, what if I die tomorrow? I don't want anyone reading these notebooks. <laughs> There's nothing horrible in them. I just don't. It's like, you know, who wants to read your old poetry? Right. So, so, but I, in flipping back through them, I have tons of lyrics before I knew that they were songs. My, I, I wrote a lot when I first started performing because I, I suddenly made that connection mm -hmm. that my what I had to say was not any less important than the person's song that I had been covering the night before. Mm -hmm. And I started rethinking other people's songs and to the point where I was almost critical of going, what made that person think that that should be a song? And then realizing that's every song. You know, <laughs> at some point, you just have to kind of jump through this confidence mm -hmm. hoop and say... I think it is important, therefore it is important. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I tell my, some of my students, I teach piano and some writing classes, and when they're afraid of singing, I talk to them about the importance of a frame. Mm -hmm. And just you know, like your kid's artwork, or any the artwork of a five-year-old can look ridiculous on a refrigerator, but you can take it to a frame store and like suddenly put it on a wall, and mm -hmm. it's like, hmm, what's that? That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you just have to kind of frame yourself and give yourself that boost, that pedestal of starting from a little higher ground. And, and I think a stage, a microphone can do that for you. And, you know, if you go, if you go see a band that you love and you've never heard of the opener, mm -hmm. the fact that that opener is on the road with that band immediately gives them yeah. some sort of head start. Mm -hmm. And so I try to encourage, particularly I have a lot of young female guitar students at these at this time and they want to write songs and they're super nervous and I try to say listen one of the most popular songs of all time the lyrics are she loves you yeah 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 <laughs> she loves you yeah 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 so whatever you're saying you know it's, mm -hmm. I mean and the Beatles are maybe my favorite band so nothing knocking the, the Lennon McCartney out there but you got to have the confidence to say yeah. it and like you mean it <clears throat> shows what you can do with confidence and practice yeah, yeah. exactly exactly especially practice kids. yes practice oh my goodness practice like you, I think I was just kind of good at mm -hmm. school, good at whatever. Yeah. I don't think I was as smart as I was told that I was. Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But I sucked when it came to the musical thing because my mom made us do piano lessons. Right. I loved good it, mom. but nobody could explain to me why I had to practice, like what exactly the practice was going to do for like scales. Yeah. And I still think if somebody would have said, well, if you practice the scales, then later, you know, your hands will flow more, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And you'll understand chord theory. And yeah. It is. And so it was just resentful. Yeah. It is. I struggle with this with my students a lot because um, there's a difference. I've had plenty of students who don't have much ear skill at all, but they practice and they can play Mozart sonatas. And I've had students who have perfect pitch not be able to play much at all because they just assume that they've got it. Yeah. And it's like, you got to do both. Yeah. I mean, like... You just have to practice, really. Yeah. And you do. That that Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing is so spot on. Yeah. You just have to practice. And it's all practice. Please practice. Practice, practice. <laughs> um, for some reason in the middle, when you were kind of talking about that confidence and just making that change is something. Like, very few people think their way to doing that. Yeah. You know, it's just this compulsion yeah. that you feel. And I, I realized this morning, for some reason, I woke up with... Um, I can't remember the name of the song, John Prine's song. Um, it's got that great line, your heart gets bored with your mind, it changes oh, you. What is that? Um, yeah. Oh, now I'm, now I'm tired. Yeah, so. <laughs> I can't think of a John Prine song. <laughs> great song. Talk about lyricist, goodness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, <clears throat> so your your heart got bored with your mind and it changed you. Um, all right, so you so you made the, you took the dive. Was it sort of a classic start, like you, you were going to... Open mics and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it was. I so there was like no. I just want to get this straight for people. There was no like no magical entry. Like people yeah. didn't, didn't people didn't go. Oh, Bridget. Oh God. Yeah. So let's give her a show yeah. right now. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, I, I always 
I, when I went to open mics, it was always surprising to the people that I was any good, which I guess is maybe the the reality of any open mic. <laughs> like when you go up and there's somebody who's very, very good then uh, or above average even. Um, so, so then I started being able to go to an open mic and get like the, the featured spot or whatever. But what really helped me was the that I had practiced my scales, to be 100% honest, because somebody real, stepped in and said, hey, could you play keyboard in my band? <laughs> and I was able to do it because, I mean, GCD, like I knew those chords pretty well. So, and then from there I was in other bands. And once I was in other bands, I was given the opportunity to play for different crowds. People kind of knew my name because, I mean, and I'm not going to lie about this, because I was a girl in the band. So I definitely got a little bit more attention. Um, at the same time, I had to prove myself a little bit harder when I sang my original stuff. Um, so yeah, I was, my first record... WFPK was huge for me then. Scott Mullins. Oh, look at that. You that your first record? That's my first one, yeah. Um, Scott Mullins played, he was the first person to play it. He played Whiskey in the Faucet. Maybe Future Mystery used to be. And those two songs, I think, kind of hit public radio at a time when people were, that was the biggest thing in town because their mm -hmm. podcasts mm -hmm. and other things weren't around yet. Mm -hmm. And I got a Waterfront Wednesday. And it, I wish that social media had been around at that point, to be honest, because I think I could have burst on a, another level or two up. From that point, it was a combination of me playing in other people's bands and uh, having a record out. You really, you still kind of need a record, it's, yeah. even though people say it's a waste now. It is, it's a waste of money, but not really. It's just an expensive business card. Right. You have to have one. So that's a great way. Like an yeah. expensive business card. Yeah, it's a, it's an advertising cost on that schedule. See, it's yeah. not, it's not a product. So really, even though I think so many people still think, you know, Bridget Kalen, singer-songwriter, you built your bona fides. First, as a musician in general, like all of that mm -hmm. kind of yeah, I would working, say, working, working. Yeah, playing keyboards and accordion. The accordion mm -hmm. wasn't as common then as it is now. It was mm -hmm. sort of probably like the new hipster thing, except that there weren't very many people who played it well. So, yeah. and since I not only had an accordion, I could mm -hmm. play it very well, and, and again, I can kind of jump in and play with other people. So, and that's that's what I did. I mean, there's sort of do we name drop here? Doesn't yeah. I mean, it's just. Once something that was helpful, and it hasn't actually been particularly helpful to my career. It didn't get me any gigs out of it, but I'm a huge Elvis Costello fan. And my second record came out the same day that he was in town. We were at the radio station at the same time, and I had to go home to teach a class and was going to miss meeting him. And I just, I loved him. Like, my Wi-Fi's name is Elvis. It's, like, I've always loved him since so. um, And so I left him a note and asked the DJ, who's wonderful, Laura Shine. But if he was cool, could he give, she, she give him this note? If it's not cool, don't worry about it. And I just wrote a note. Hey, I'll be at your show tonight. I, I had a, I bought a single ticket. It was front row. Like, I had great. And that's the trick to buying a concert ticket. So I won. So I said, I'll be in, like, the third row. I have a, so I'm not asking for a ticket. Like, you need an accordion player? Let me know. Just totally offhand. It was mostly just a fan letter. But he called me because the radio station people, I guess he said, is she any good? And they're like, yeah, she's actually really good. And he had been trying some new kind of Zydeco cover of a... He was doing some Lou Reed song that he that always envisioned accordion. He said, I haven't played with accordion in 20 years. Like, bring it down. So, uh, but again, people were like, weren't you nervous? And a couple of like nasty people said, oh, in over her head, she doesn't know this theory. And I was like, it's B-flat to E-flat. Of course I know this theory. So no, I wasn't nervous then. But I did. I got to... I mean, I, I gave somebody else my awesome ticket because I didn't need it. I was backstage and on stage. And, but it's those kind of things, being able to play the music mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rather than jump front and center is, is being able to be in the band has been what's gotten me more interesting places. So, yeah. well, I, I didn't think I got any gigs off of that. It makes for a good story. <laughs> and, and now I have a friend, like I actually would say Elvis Costello has given me more life advice than most of my good friends. Mm -hmm. And which is so weird to say, but particularly surrounding parenting mm -hmm. while being a musician, just, I, I saw him in July and we sat on this tour bus just, talking and I was saying I have this you know baby now and I, I feel terrible um, because I the child care is so hard and I feel like I shouldn't hire a babysitter just so I can play the piano and he's like absolutely do that you know my wife does that you're both piano players like you need to play you need child care this is your job this is your sanity and don't feel bad about being on the road mm -hmm. there's all these opportunities just just good stuff that um, is weird but and his kids are terribly older no, he's got twin boys. I think they're 10 or 11. <coughs> At the time, they had been on the road with him, but I think I, I met up with him in Dayton last summer, and his wife was playing Red Rocks that night, so they had gone with her. 
<laughs> he was nothing against Dayton, but he yeah, sort of laughed. He goes, eh, I couldn't compete. So. <laughs> Total uh, indulging in the fact that it's yeah. Elvis Costello. Yeah. Do you call him Elvis? I, I don't say his name because I don't know if I should call okay. him Elvis. Okay. I, I really still have this weird fan thing. Like We can right. talk about these really personal family things, but I just sort of... <laughs> I, when so I introduced Declan. him to... Yeah, Declan. I, Declan. Declan. And that was another weird thing. I almost named my firstborn Declan. And I'm sort of super glad I didn't because I wasn't sure that right. if Elvis Costello would re-enter my life. But, right. you know, we, he runs into people from Louisville and he asks them if he knows me. And sometimes they'll both... He and Kyle Meredith like, mm. called me from Bonnaroo or... I don't know, Strictly Blue Breath. Yeah. Strictly, I don't know, they call me from something somewhere together, like on on somebody's phone. And so it's just, I don't know, he's got a great memory and he's a real person. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, you know, my friend Richard in Louisville. And, and that's the thing I love about this, your story with him is it's it's too easy for a lot of people, and I'm finally going to get the cuss on my podcast, yes. to assume it's a star fucker thing. Right. Um, and in truth, as a musician, what it means is it's a person thing. Yeah. Because oh, you, you guys are just musicians who are people. Like, it's this, you know, like a couple of actuaries. You yes. Know, like, oh, you're an actuary too. Oh, okay, I can talk actuary with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the very, that night at the palace, when I come, I had come to soundcheck and he invited me to have dinner with the band because I wasn't doing anything else in the weird mm-hmm. hour before the show. So we were talking about mutual friends we had in Nashville and he mentioned um, Cowboy Jack Clement. Mm-hmm. He was still alive at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was watching this documentary about him and I said, that's so crazy. I actually just played Saw with him a couple weeks ago at this party. Mm-hmm. I, my life is crazy or exciting then. And he goes, what? You know Cowboy? And you play the Saw? And I, I said, yeah. He's like, do you have it? I do. It's in the car. <laughs> so he like scarfed his dinner down and he said, maybe in my dressing room. He's like, I've got this new song. I think it sounds perfect with oh, that. That's beautiful. So we just... And, and that's just nerdiness. It was total Plain just music nerdiness. Yeah. He sat there, he grabbed this old Gibson and his... And he goes, okay, so it kind of goes like this, just mm. do... And, and this makes me love him even more because I have played with plenty of local musicians who insist on like 10 rehearsals before a show. Elvis Costello played halfway through the song and went, yeah, you got it. And I said, that's right. He trusts me that I'm going to play it right because right. he understands. He's a musician. <clears throat> I'm a musician. We right. got this. So. And you know... Yeah, and it was absolute music nerdiness that had nothing. There's there's no weirdness. It's, it's yeah. yeah, another musician. It was cool. So the music nerdiness, a couple, a couple of times you've mentioned Nashville. How did that start? That's, so I've never been in Nashville in my life, and a friend of mine dragged me to Nashville Star Auditions. Mm-hmm. This was like the knockoff of American Idol in right. 2006 or so. And I went with her just, I really kind of thought it was a throwaway thing. But I got selected mm-hmm. to be on the semifinals. So I guess it was one of 40, maybe, mm-hmm. to go down to Nashville and do the whole, you know, how like American Idol has the pre-show, who's going to actually be on the show thing. So that's what this was. And I mean, from the start, it was clear what my character was. <laughs> and it was that I was like, the girl who played accordion is totally off, not not mainstream Nashville. Right. It, and talking to the producers, you know, I, was, I used to be on their end of it. Mm-hmm. I was a TV producer myself, so... It was funny, but what it did do was I didn't make the final ten of the show. You know who did that was Casey Musgraves. She hmm. sat next to me on the on the tracks. She was I think eighteen at the time. Um, I was twenty eight maybe. And uh, so what happened was I ended up playing with the house band instead, not on every episode, and hmm. just the first or whatever the the pre one. But because I went into the, you got like a four minute rehearsal with the band before your stage show. Mm-hmm of whatever song. They made you pick from some list of songs. I, I was all mainstream country, and the only one I knew was a Hank Williams song, because I didn't know the mainstream country ones at all at the time. Um, so I was rehearsing with the band, and they kind of said, wait, you know your music stuff, don't you? And I was like, yeah. And then they needed accordion or keys or something. So for the finale, I forget how at some point, but at that point I started getting calls from them to play accordion on some session stuff. That's and then I realized, oh, wait, I, that's actually when I realized, oh, this is rare. Like, hmm that to be able to play the accordion and know your chord theory was actually kind of a, a rare combo, that right. it was worth it for me to go down to Nashville on a Wednesday and then go to the bar and chat up somebody, and then suddenly I had work on Thursday mm-hmm. and Friday because they actually needed an accordion player. So, do you still get to do that ever at all? I haven't in years. I, not for any reason other than, well, I mean, I guess I, I, I met David and I just stopped traveling so much, to be honest. It, I never, ever did the main bridget songwriting thing in yeah. nashville it was all about playing accordion and sure. keeper all session work I never never my stuff was always too quirky now maybe everybody has some quirky stuff but i knew that there was not a chance i would fit into the mainstream yeah. 
I didn't try. You mentioned doing TV producing. That was for CBS. And mostly? So it was a year of CBS This Morning, and then I switched to documentaries where mm. we made the stuff that they showed on the History Channel in gotcha. 80. Gotcha. Like a ton of those 80 biographies. More of that. More of that. Learning and history stuff. Yeah, you know, it really was. It was we had six weeks to produce a show. You became a big you became an expert on whatever it was. One time it was George Hamilton, the next time it was like the death penalty. Mm -hmm. So I, it was a variety, but I really liked it because it was it was interesting. Yeah. You learn stuff. That was my great frustration back when I was still in film and video. I'd gone into it because I wanted to do documentary work. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing I wanted to do. Yeah. And then you get pulled into the having to make a living. Right. So instead of, you know, Constantly learning through my art, I was I was constantly making commercials. Right. Um, it's just not satisfying. And it's not. I think that's the any sort of creative thing you end up realizing that that's only five percent of what you end up doing. Mm -hmm. The rest is either emails or receipts mm -hmm. or commercials. Right? <laughs> you don't just sit around and be inspired all the time. All the time. Two hours of really was fun because he would wake up and just play the banjo for an hour. Yeah. Like that. He practices. He's already the best in the world. He practices every day. So that's one more thing I can check off here real quick. Yeah. Mr. Cooley, who, who I don't really know directly. So are you afraid of him? What's that? Are you afraid of him? <laughs> I'm not a... It's funny, people think I'm good at small talk because I can do small talk. Uh -huh. um, and that's just from growing up. Like my dad had a, had a furniture store in a yeah. small town. It's a switch. You can yeah, you on. just learned how to talk to people because that's what you had to do. Sure. But it was never me. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It was just, here's, here's the part. Yeah. Um, so it's never been fear. So much, although he's he's got an intimidating, <laughs> intimidating mask. Although I've always been suspicious that he's just an intimidating teddy bear. Yeah. Um, he's very honest too. I think it's, yeah. there's no there's no messing around with him. It's just yeah. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> so all right. So knowing that and knowing like how good he is at what he yeah. does, it makes sense that you guys work together. But did it? Did the like the the tour you just did? Mm -hmm. Um, it was just the two of you, right? Just us, yeah. And that's not the first time there's been just the two of you? That was the first time we've ever actually toured together. We've done okay. like one-off shows gotcha. in Korea gotcha. or various, but nothing too far. Yeah, we definitely never stayed overnight together. But was that? I know, it's scandalous suddenly because it's a male-female thing. <laughs> I, I, you'd have to ask him, but I definitely know that people have come in the guitar store and said, hmm, so Bridget Kalen, huh? I'm like, what? They would never have said it if he was on tour with you. So you and Mr. Cooper. Did that start just as a, a work thing, or were you friends first, and then you were like, hey, you know, we should do something? Yeah, he kind of pushed it. I always assumed that he was too expensive. So, <laughs> I, I knew him from Johnny Berry shows. I would, I love oh, going to see Johnny Berry. So I would go out to the Johnny Berry shows, and I would sing one or two, and then, you know, when I'd go in the guitar store, and he'd say, when are you going to call me for a gig, Bridget? And I'd say, I can't afford you, Steve. And uh -huh. then finally he said, just, you know, ask me. Which I recognize now as a thing. Like people just want to be asked. You should never assume that they're too busy or too expensive right. or whatever. Just ask. They'll say no if they can't. Right. Um, so I finally did, and he's he's been playing. Started playing electric guitar in my band. He's been playing bass lately, but I think he just wanted a new toy. Mm -hmm. he, but he's you know he's phenomenal at everything. Yeah. This tour was just the two of us, and he played banjo and guitar. We brought a banjo, a guitar, an accordion, and a saw. And we kind of switched around. Sometimes I played the guitar, he played the banjo. Sometimes he played the banjo, I played the accordion. We had, had a great little show though together. It was it was a blast. He, we have become very good friends mm -hmm. since. I don't I don't ever remember being introduced to him. I just sort of knew him, and I think it was just through. Growing up in Louisville, I, you know, I, I grew up at Air Devil's Inn, which seems so weird to say, but my dad worked there, so I would go there after school and practice the piano, because they had one there. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of knew Steve, but he's amazing. He's has taught me more about the business and how to ask for what you deserve and mm. what you should, what what is a good price, who to be wary of, and I call him my business guru. Every so often, somebody will call me for a gig, and I'll say, "Hey, Steve, is this the price that they gave you? Because this doesn't seem right. It mm -hmm. seems like they're sort of lowballing me." And he'll he'll be straight up. He'll say, "No, this is their budget, or this is ridiculous." You know, mm -hmm. and, but straight up, he says, "You know, this is a fair price for musicians, and we either do it or we don't. And don't overthink it. Ask right. for what you need." Right. And it, I've actually just—it's taken me years of that good advice, but. I send away a couple, usually I get real nervous. I write this email and I sit in there for a day and I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going to hit send and it's going to be requesting. And then, you know, the event, these are for corporate stuff, for weddings. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, oh, I should have doubled my price. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because really when you when it goes into it, whatever you're getting is not as much per hour as what you're putting into it. Oh. <laughs> so even if it seems absurd mm -hmm. um, to the people, like 
you're you're not just playing seven to nine. You yeah. know? Oh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's not. And I think for me, I've only ever once once I gave somebody my price, mm-hmm. I've only ever once had somebody go, "Yeah, we can't do it this time." Sorry. Right. And if they can't, then yeah. they get it. You know. And, and I tell them straight up, if the numbers don't work right. You know, especially if it's like a nonprofit situation, talk to me about your budget. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's also not fair. I, I know I'll play a benefit every so often, but at some point, I'd rather write you a check to your to your thing than block off a Saturday mm-hmm. a year in advance mm-hmm. because this is my business. Saturday yeah. nights are where I pay my mortgage, and I love your cause. I love puppies, and I want them to be safe and <laughs> adopted. But here, let me write you a check. Right. Um, Steve's wonderful, and he's been really really helpful for the business part, my business head, and uh, which. I, is funny too. I've had um, different. Well, I was going to go into the man. You can edit this. <laughs> I was going into the, the gender thing again, but go. it's hard for a woman to ask for a price, mm-hmm. and it's less hard for a man to ask. And that's just you know you can go into those promotional meetings and corporate stuff, mm-hmm. or whatever they whatever they do when they sit down and they talk about the job, and you know it's there's men always at counter, and right. women are always like okay. Right. So. It's been nice working with Steve, who's a pro and knows what it is, and says, right. no, it's not ridiculous to ask for this. Do. You're, you're very skilled. But again, it's one of those cultural expectation things. Yeah. Like guys are just being aggressive and women are being bitches. Exactly. And all that kind of crap. Exactly. Yeah. And I finally, you know, I'm at a point in my career where I can say, okay, then I, I would be happy to direct you to somebody else who is good and maybe has a smaller band. Right. Because my four piece cannot play for that. Right. And I get it. You know, you have a budget, but. We can't block off a Saturday night for a hundred dollars each. Like yeah. that's just not going to work for us. So I saw something recently. It was a sci-fi writer, and he was joking about writing a piece, you know, set a hundred years in the future or something like that. And he was talking about all the things that had changed in the century, you know. And he said, "However, musicians still make fifty dollars a gig." Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this town, I still remember being, you know, in 1991. I was like 13, and um, saving my $5 to go to the show, whatever mm-hmm. the show was, Big Wheel or Star Valley or whatever, and I would pay my $5 cover, and that was 1991. People flip out in 2018 about $5 covers. <laughs> it's no fun. Yeah. You guys have been working. Uh, you've been touring. Mm-hmm. And um, more touring to come. Career-wise, though, as far as, like, you had the new album, you're doing some touring, you've been doing some shows locally. Yeah. Has... Has Bridget found her groove, kind of, in terms of the way it works? Are there still things that you want to add to that, creatively or just business-wise? Um, it's been interesting being a musician through the changes in the industry, uh, for many reasons. There are more things I want to do, but they're along the same lines. Like I've definitely, like I was on a Perennial Companions, Jack. Um, oh right. Yeah. You know, I've done some things that are that are big and exciting. Those first bucket list stuff. I think I'm I'm actually pretty good on that, but. I would love to just travel more and tour more. Again, to kind of combine that, those two things. Somebody once asked me to think about a long-term goal when you're a musician, or really any sort of self-employed person. Like, what is it that you're actually after? And I realized my favorite thing about what I do is to sing songs that I wrote to people who came to see me, whether or not they knew who I was, and to travel at the same time. And so I'm, I'm not content playing Louisville once a week for the rest of my life. Love Louisville. I need to travel and do that, mm-hmm. and travel to new places, and have new adventures. I also clearly need to write more, so having having the two kids has definitely slowed that part of it down. It hasn't stopped my thoughts, which has just made me feel a little crazy because I haven't been able to get the thoughts out. Right. So, and I still have you know, fifty or a hundred unrecorded songs. I need to kind of sort back through those and see if there are any anything because you know what you wrote when you're 23. There's one song on my, on my new record that was one of the first songs that I ever wrote, and I still kind of liked it, so I put it on there. But um, a lot of what I wrote back then isn't so applicable now, so I'd like to get some. I have a few different records in me, but in that this case, it's kind of good that the industry has changed, and I feel like I don't have to do a, a huge push for every single record. Mm-hmm. If I was smart, I would have hired publicists. Publicists are everything now in this this industry. Um, but as an artist, I can record still takes forever and is expensive, but I could record like a five song group and put it out and not, it's not like a, a it's not cheating because it's not just like a throwaway thing. It's right. an actual right. project. So, um, I can't stop the travel and I can't stop the writing. So, but I don't have like, I must play more or anything right. in my head. Do you find with the, with the constraints on your time with the kids and all that, just life 
yeah. and getting older and everything else. It sounds like you are you are already pretty disciplined about how you approached your work, but has this increased the, dis the discipline? Has it changed it? Or is it just merely a matter of now you have to hack out the time where you can? Yeah, it's totally thrown it off. So I work for myself and I've always, except for like the three years I worked for CBS, I've always worked for myself mm -hmm. and I'm not linear in my thought process <laughs> or my work process. And having the kids has thrown that completely uh, because I do not get the luxury of stopping everything I'm doing and writing a song because I have the idea. And even before when I would be disciplined about hours that I would practice and hours that I would do receipts and hours that I would write something, whether it was a song or a journal entry, I don't, I haven't had that sort of luxury with the small children. Now they're five and two and we just got some kind of flexible childcare to sort that out. So I'm hoping to come up with a new routine, but yeah, 100% threw me off. And I think, it, and I think I know that if you look at, there's a whole slew of female, and I do say female artists who you have a kid and it's done. Mm -hmm. And I, half of it is people not asking you because they assume that you won't. Mm -hmm. Half of it is you don't have time or, or you're not interesting to the people anymore and the people in charge, the publicists, etc. Right, so right. And unless you had kids, unless you already had a huge career before the child, and even in that case, you still see plenty of people who've had to take time off, and I don't think that it was necessarily on purpose. Mm -hmm. It just became a matter of society and mm -hmm. how it works. And if you're breastfeeding, like you, you are physically attached to this person, right? And you know that's one of those things that maybe that was sort of the only thing I was good at as a mother. So I held on to that. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It is throwing me completely. I'm hoping to find a new path and uh, just kind of forward ahead because I know that. Unlike the men who travel, I can't just like grow a beard and say that I've got all these wise stories now from the road. It's sad, but you do sort of just look like a, a sad old woman on tour. Like you're just kind of, and I get every time, well, who's with the babies? Like they didn't ask Steve about his daughter. Like, come on. <laughs> anyway, so it's it's a different game you have to play. Sure, sure. And uh, as far as the home and the, I need to come up with a new routine. So anyone out there have ideas? I know. Right now, I'm scheduling hours that I have a babysitter, but I'm still kind of trying to climb up to ground zero before I can put my head up and actually do something new. Yeah. So. One of the last things, because I'll let you go, but I'm always curious for creative people, but also, I mean, just anybody who's getting things done in life. Um, and I'm not, you know, it's not about productivity. I mean, God, that's so not me, but, you know, just day to day, the things you keep you do to keep mind and body together, the things yeah. you do to take care of the people you love, making a living, you know, it's just all the stuff we have to do. Yeah. You know, these days, besides time with your family and all that good stuff, which is crucial, are you are you finding time, making time? Are you are you do you feel like you're taking care of yourself or is that also one of the things you're like, oh, I need to get on top of this? Yeah, I'm absolutely not taking care of myself. Yeah. So I'm hoping and I guess it's spring, so spring we have child here, my little mm -hmm. is just turned two. Um, for a while last year, I was going to yoga, but then when I was doing that, my career was totally tanking. Not, I mean, I wasn't getting Damn that yoga. I know. I, mean, <laughs> I felt better, but I also felt mad at myself because mm -hmm. it was time consuming. I mean, mm -hmm. yoga is great, but it was, you know, it took like two hours out of my day. Right, right. It took a babysitter, and that was my babysitter that I needed for my job. Right. And then I didn't get this done. And so I, I'm trying it backwards now. Now I've got a babysitter, I'm focusing on job first. Mm -hmm hoping that I can get, you know, a tour completely booked out for next December and Europe again in May. And once that's on the books, I think I'll feel, uh, it's, it's such a balance and it's so hard. But no, I'm not really taking particularly good care of myself in the office. So check back in two months. Maybe I'll okay. we'll try this. Maybe I can get a little massage real quick. So. Our very last thing, I swear, I keep saying okay. that. But um, I realized that I did not touch on this. So it seems like you've really found kind of a, a musical home in the UK, especially Scotland. Mm -hmm. or maybe the Scotland thing is just that's you just love Scotland. Scotland. But what's not to do a compare and contrast? Yeah, little, but like, what's different about the music scene there? What's different about your ability to merge into that? So I think that Scotland, England, and Europe in general mm -hmm. has such a much better sense of themselves and where their place in the entire history of the world is because they're old and we're still like teenagers over here in America thinking, you know, let's just shake our guns and play whatever. And who cares? Talk with a musician in the bar. I'm not super, I try not to get artsy. I don't care if you're talking at my show in Louisville, 
nobody would even think about doing it over there. Mm -hmm. And so it allows you to tell your story in a more meaningful way, connect with the audience more. They are much more appreciative of anybody traveling to come hear them. And I, I really do think it's, or come see them and mm -hmm. play for them. I really do think it's because of this history of troubadours traveling. And yeah. you know, you have these small hamlets, towns, mm -hmm. villages, whatever, and the, the artists come through to be the entertainment and that's still going on, even though now we have TV and internet. There's mm -hmm. just a history and a past of folk clubs and storytelling and it's been wonderful to go as an artist because I'm immediately able to connect. They're there to listen and that's why they came out. And at the same time, there's usually somebody else in the belt, so it allows me to enjoy a show mm -hmm. without hearing about somebody babbling at the bar about whatever they're on about. <laughs> it's just, um, they also just kind of love country music, hmm. which is funny because country music came from, you know, Celtic music. Right. <laughs> so it's this big circle, but it's kind of it's like, oh, what you've done with our music. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's totally what it is. But it's it's an appreciative, fun crowd, and they have better castles. So I continue to try to get there at least once a year. Yeah. But it's just like anything. I mean, when I first started out here, there were people telling me, do daisy change, you know, every weekend, it's like, make a little daisy drawing, you, you start in Louisville, and you daisy out, you do Indianapolis, Chicago, oh, gotcha. one to Cleveland, come back, right. and then next week, you do Nashville, Atlanta, mm -hmm. Memphis, come back, and um, it's just, you know, you build your audience bit by bit, and so I've just kind of been doing it in a different country instead, mm -hmm. so, it's fun, though. I mean, there's some places where they've never heard of me, there's some places where the BBC station has me on, and is like, super impressed by me, mm -hmm. I to talk about Steve Cooley again, though, there are plenty of times when people came out to see him. Right. Because he's got five Grammys. He right. was in Bill Monroe's band. Right. Like, talk about some. He won't, he's probably mad. He won't be listening to this because he's. He just doesn't. He just, yeah, he doesn't, yeah. But he has. If you're listening to Steve, I'll enjoy it. Yeah, come talk about. I would embarrass him every nightly with some name dropping thing about him because he's insanely just, he's phenomenal and he's got amazing stories. And he was in a band called the Dillers that mm -hmm. had played, you know, they played the huge folk festivals over there. So, so there were people who could not believe that Steve Cooley from the Dillards was playing their folk club that night. Mm -hmm. They just flipped out and came out to see him. So uh, it was a good time. So the only, like, sort of vaguely, like, it's almost like radio, 